Hello, everyone. Welcome to the I Am Cannabis Sativa podcast. I am your host, Cannabis Sativa. If you're currently a medical marijuana patient and want to tell your story and be featured on the podcast, feel free to email me at IamCannabisSativa at gmail.com. Feel free to hit me up on Instagram at IamCannabisSativa. Feel free to check out our official Twitter account at ICSativaPodcast. You can also find and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Anchor FM, Stitcher, and the Google Play Music Store. Please rate and review us on iTunes as rating and reviewing us will bump up the pod on their algorithm and put this podcast in front of even more eyeballs. If you like what we are doing, please become a Patreon and support us. We are planning on doing big things with our humble little projects such as going to trade shows, visiting other MMJ or recreational states, and doing on-field work. By supporting us, this helps us to keep the lights on, pay for rent, pay for hosting, equipment, and travel. And you can do this by going to https colon slash slash anchor dot fm slash I am cannabis sativa podcast slash support. Again, that is https colon slash slash anchor dot fm slash I am cannabis sativa podcast slash support. So today's interview, I think you guys are going to be very excited about. Um, I spoke with um, John Payne from New Approach, Missouri, and we had a pretty um, we had a pretty productive and constructive conversation about um, New Approach's journey to getting it on the ballot. You know, um, challenges they've had to overcome getting it on the ballot and getting voter support. Um, you know, you know, just sort of questions about specifics about the um, measure and about the process that's going on so far. Um, I I feel that there was a lot of things that was applicable with, with what New Approach did. They were very successful with what they did. And to sort of refresh your memory, um, so they had, um, so there were three ballot measures on the ballot in Missouri last November. One of them was another constitutional amendment, like um, New Approaches Amendment 2, which is being in the process of being implemented. And then another was by um, was by a uh, was by a guy with sort of bad motives named Brad Bradshaw, who wanted to levy a 15 percent tax on marijuana, medical marijuana. He there wasn't from what I remember, there wasn't going to be any home grow. Um, there was going to be a research center and cancer center that the proceeds of medical marijuana of this 15% tax was going to go to, and Brad Bradshaw was going to be the guy to make all the money off it. So, I mean, with that, you know, it was pretty less than ideal ballot measure. And so you had one that was just a, a, an initiative which looked to mirror new approaches i think but it was initiative so lawmakers were able to modify and 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 meddle and pull shenanigans but with new approach so far because it's a constitutional amendment like like john had alluded to lawmakers haven't been able to do that and they've had to sort of um abide by the will of the people so I had a very good and productive interview with John, and I think you'll really like it. And without further ado, here's the interview. Hello? 
Hello. Yes, this is John. Hi, John. How's it going? Pretty good. How's the um, weather treating you over Missouri? Uh, it's not great, but it's supposed to be getting better uh, basically tomorrow, and then uh, I think that'll be the last of the really cold weather. I see. Um, yeah, I mean, it, here it's been sort of it's been sort of on the cold side, and we've gotten a little bit of snow, but um, hopefully it should be better next week. Yeah, hopefully it's, uh, we'll actually get the spring here in a, in a short time period. Hopefully. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for, um, for, for taking the time to do this. Um, I, I, I find I really learn a lot from, from the interviews I've been doing since doing this podcast. Yeah, no problem. Okay, so, um, I guess my f- first sort of question is, um, so having done research on, on sort of how new approach works and how and, and sort of you guys' journey, I heard that you guys were close to getting it on the ballot in twenty six, but then by last minute sort of government shenanigans, um you guys were short by twenty five signatures. Um so what lessons were 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 taken away from that sort of setback and how could other state activists sort of learn from that? <laughs> So, you know, actually I want to explain that it was, uh, you know, I, it was not, I wouldn't call it government shenanigans. I would call it government, uh, you know, uh, nitpicking uh, that was off the ballot. I, I, would, I would say that. Uh, to kind of explain this very, as briefly as I possibly can, it's pretty complicated. But, uh, you know, we had hired a, a signature collection company in January of 2016 uh, to gather the signatures, and uh, the, the signatures are due in Missouri six months prior to the election. So that was uh, in 2016, that was May 8th. And there's a distribution requirement where you have to get a certain number in six of the eight congressional districts. And a couple weeks prior to the deadline, the company emails me and says that, hey, we're, uh, we've gotten plenty in Congressional District 1, which is St. Louis City in North St. Louis County, uh, but we, uh, we're way short in Congressional District 2. Uh, which is south and west St. Louis County and some of the other suburb, suburbs of St. Louis. Uh, and this is something they had not had on my radar at all prior to this. Uh, and so it was uh, something that kind of came out of the blue uh, by their error, essentially. Uh, and uh, so then we flooded the zone, though, and put as much as many people as we could in Congressional District 2 to make up the gap. And uh, we were assured by the company that, yeah, we had it. Uh, and uh, then we turned in our, our signatures. Uh, the state said we were 2,000 signatures short. Uh, we went into litigation, and there was about, uh, there was over 1,000 signatures that everyone at court agreed were valid signatures that had been improperly invalidated. Uh, there was another 500 that I think we you know, uh, would have been pretty easy to win on. Uh, and then there was this final category of 500 signatures uh, that would have put us over the top uh, that were what we call wrong county signatures. They were people that were undoubtedly registered to vote in the correct, correct congressional district, but they had signed on an incorrect county form. So, for instance, uh, if you are a resident of St. Louis County but have signed a St. Louis City form, uh, which is an easy mistake to make, uh, yeah. your signature does not count. Uh, and we argue that the constitutional requirement does not say anything about these forms, or it doesn't, uh, but the statute does. And so we argue that that statute is invalid. Uh, the court said, you make a good argument for a trial court, you'll have to take it to an appellate court to get that decided. 
And we would have done that had it not been for the fact that Connecticut was decided at least six weeks prior to the election because that's when the, um, the ballots are printed. And it was just, we were a week prior to that at this point. So there was just no way to do it. Um, and so that's why we missed the ballot in 2016. And the big lesson we took away from that was uh, give yourself more time uh, and, uh, you know, don't, uh, uh, don't wait on what, 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 the, what we had tried to uh, wait on initially was making sure we had enough money to hire the professional signature collectors. And so in 2018, we just filed the initiative and started gathering with volunteers as soon as we possibly could. Uh, and believe that, hey, we'll raise the money down the line once we're uh, more established, have some signatures uh, banked away. And that's, that's exactly what we did. It was a struggle uh, getting it off the ground at first in 2018, especially after such a big setback. But, you know, uh, to be able to go in and say, hey, we, yeah, we know, we barely missed the ballot in 2018, but we're still uh, uh, more than a year out from our deadline. We already have, you know, 30,000 signatures toward our goal. Uh, that was compelling to people. So just sort of giving giving yourself enough sort of time, and then you're able to sort of people are sort of able to find comb through, find tooth comb everything, and then you know see if there are any issues ahead of time before you know they get captured by technicality in a sense. So yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, is that if you don't have enough time, then any any failure, any uh, small thing. Uh, can become a cascading set of failures. Uh, and that's, that's precisely what happened in 2016, is that, you know, if it wasn't that big of an issue, if we had another, uh, even another week, uh, or if we had what most states have, whereas if you turn in your signatures uh, at the uh, beginning of, uh, if you turn in your signatures, the state finds that you're uh, deficient, but within striking distance, they give you like another 30 days. If that had been the case, we would have been fine. But no, it's just a very strict uh, uh, deadline in Missouri. I see. Um, so to sort of sort to, to piggyback on that question in a way, so I see like from every like from every interaction I've had with you guys, like I mean, you guys have been just sort of like just on point with everything, and. Um, so did so I, I I see that you guys are a very sort of thorough operation. Um, did you guys feel that you needed to sort of have the resources you had to sort of prevent meddling, government meddling, as we've seen in like other states, like let's say Arkansas or um, some of the other um, some of the other states that have seen their lawmakers sort of slow walk medical. Yeah, I think that's uh, it, it's definitely been important. Uh, you know, uh, and I don't mean resources in terms of financing, although it's definitely a major part of it, but uh, also the level of public support that we've had, uh, both in terms of volunteers and ultimately the people who voted for the amendment, all of that has been very important to uh, making sure that uh, not only did we pass it, but that no one is really seriously challenging uh, the legitimacy of it. Uh, so, you know, part of it was that we went for a constitutional amendment as a, opposed to a statute, which, uh, you know, in some states that's not even possible, but uh, in Missouri it requires a higher threshold of the number of signatures. Uh, and so, for one, that means that you know, legislators can't just go back and change it. Uh, they have to propose another vote of the people to change it. Uh, that's the only way they can they can change the constitution. Uh, and, and so, you know, having that as a, as a major bulwark against uh, against them coming in and uh, messing things up 
but also wins that passed uh, by two-thirds of the vote and passed in, I think, something like 90-plus of our 114 counties. Uh, most politicians look at that and say, well, my voters wanted it. I'm not going to seriously challenge this, uh, even, if they're not, even if they weren't personally inclined to it or you know, very vocally supportive of themselves. They see the writing on the wall, and their uh, politicians are, by and large, they uh, when they see their voters go one way, they're not likely to step out on that issue. Wow, that's yeah, that's it's pretty. It's been pretty interesting to sort of um, to, to sort of note. Um, so um, so with that, like. Um, like we're like I understand that like in a lot of like like in a lot of states it's it's very you have to kind of walk a very sort of thin line. So were there any were there any things you had to do to get um, people that w- were would have been to- opposed to it, or was there like any sort of things you had to do to sort of get reach people that are more religious or more likely to be opposed to it? So we didn't really have to reach out to people that were opposed to this, but you know there is a level of uh, soft support out there for this issue uh, that they will uh, they're favorable to the idea of medical marijuana. They'll vote for a proposal on it, uh, but you know if it's flawed in some way in their eyes, if it's uh, then they're quite willing to, to not vote for it, uh, and that that represents about a quarter of the electorate. Uh, there's there's about 40 uh, to 45 percent of the electorate that was just always absolutely going to vote for a medical marijuana proposal uh, unless it was just really deeply flawed. Uh, and then uh, there's another quarter of the people who uh, they were uh, kind of on the fence about it. And so it was really those people that we had to make sure that we didn't lose. Uh, and so you know a lot of the things that uh, are uh, we highlighted weren't even things about the law that we were changing, but we had to highlight, here are things we aren't changing. Uh, we're not going to allow anyone to drive under the influence. We're not going to allow anyone to uh, use in public unless there's some uh, carve out by the legislature or a local government. Uh, you know, we're not going to uh, force local governments to have these on every every corner. Uh, you know, those are the things that uh, people were worried about in the implementation. And so we had to kind of highlight that it was, uh, you know, there were going to be some regulations on it. Um, I know that's uh, not always popular with uh, with the activists, uh, and you know, I, I would prefer fewer regulations to more. But it is the, the, these are the things that some of the, the middle of the road voters want to see, and that's the, uh, the sort of thing we had to highlight to say, hey, this is it's not going to dramatically change change your life by allowing this. Um. So the I mean so. I mean, you kind of sort of answered another question I was going to ask, but to sort of go off this, um, so I, you were saying that there were a lot of things you had to sort of, in, in a sense, sort of emphasize to sort of keep those middle-of-the-road voters, but then you you also had to sort of appease activists in a sense, too. Um, I noticed that, like, even like even in, like, bluer states and even... even even on like the rec level and on the medical level throughout the U.S., there's there's bans on sort of public use and um, there's sort of yeah there there are bans on that. But then for someone who doesn't own their property outright, like let's say someone who's a renter or someone who's an who has um, subsidized housing, then that sort of leaves them with no place to sort of use. So. I mean, I, I know you guys had to sort of, you guys had to emphasize that to sort of, 
um, get the support or the support of voters that might be in the fence, but it's just something I want to sort of note. Um, so do you think like sort of emph- those emphasis that you put are going to sort of limit access to people who might otherwise be inclined to use? Uh, I mean, so, you know, I would, I would say that uh, it's not so much that we uh, created that, uh, those, that rule, it's that we, we, we uh, you know, did not change the rule uh, on those things. So, you know, it's always been illegal to use marijuana in public, and so all we uh, did is just say, we're not changing that with this initiative. Uh, you know, in a, in a perfect world, uh, then, you know, I would say, uh, you know, it shouldn't be treated any differently than uh, alcohol or tobacco or anything like that, where you know, people can people can consume it uh, in, in public, but uh, that's, that was not where the, the voters were at uh, on it. And so, yeah, there's probably, I'm sure there's going to be someone who is uh, going to face uh, difficulty in finding a place to... Uh, to use medical marijuana because of that. Uh, but also, I mean, one of the things that we've seen is that uh, it's not so much that they're going to, most of these places aren't ban, uh, you know, all forms of uh, medical marijuana administration. Uh, pretty much the only things that I've heard people talk about is banning the use of actual smoked uh, marijuana uh, in, in public places or in, uh, you know, public housing or something like that. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think people will still have other options uh, with regards to edibles and oils and uh, other other methods of consumption. Uh, so, you know, I, I think there's a there's a workable solution there. But uh, yeah, in a perfect world, I wouldn't. Uh, it, 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 my policy preference there, but it's also what what the voters wanted. Yeah, I, yeah, I see. You kind of have to sort of go with the flow in those situations. It's better to get half a loaf. Uh, yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, so um, I guess another, I guess another question that I sort of have. Um, so I noticed in the initiative that um, that patients need um, sort of they need to have two cards. So they have to have one card that is their standard card that they use to go to the dispensary, and then if they wish to cultivate, they have to get a cultivator card. Um, was there sort of like a, a reason for that, or was it, like you said, sort of to get people that might be on the fence to want to vote for it? Uh, it was mostly to reassure people that uh, home cultivation wasn't going to become a big gray or black market uh, in, in cannabis. Uh, and so that's, that's the primary reason that that's, that's in there, that uh, the department has some way of knowing who is, who is doing patient cultivation and, and where. Uh, and, you know, it, it's, uh, we, we certainly, that was one of the things that we, you know, absolutely had to have in the initiative is, uh, some measure of patient cultivation, uh, because it provides a fail thing. You know, if, uh, even if the department doesn't do what they're supposed to do, even if there isn't a, uh, no, no dispensary ever open, uh, that's obviously, you know, not the way that things seem to be going right now, but hypothetically, uh, then patients still have a way to, create access by having some level of patient cultivation. Uh, but at the same time, it was it is something that voters worry about quite a bit. Uh, and so to say, be able to say, well, it's going to be regulated, it's going to be, uh, the department is going to be able to know who, who does that and make sure there's no diversion happening here. Uh, that's the thing that the public worries about from it. They don't mind that someone's growing it. Uh, they just want to make sure that they're not selling it uh, to people who aren't supposed to have it under the law. I see. 
And um, sort of, so my next question is going to relate to this previous question. Um, so, so, um, w- so with that, um, so there's like a lot of people, and I would say particularly sort of, I don't want to say it's all veterans, but it's like a sizable amount that are like that might w- see that they would benefit from medical marijuana, but because of like the federal laws with um with, with being a medical marijuana patient and losing your guns um a lot of people are just going to going to continue to use their their pharmaceuticals um so so with that um so yeah so so with that sort of thing um um i i noticed that within the um within what you just said you said that um that that the that the state kind of wants to know wants to make sure that they're not having diversion of of home grows or whatever but isn't this sort of going to be isn't this sort of like a privacy concern having this sort of, this much tracking with the home grow or could you sort of clarify I mean, uh, yeah, there's definitely some level of uh, privacy concern there, and uh, uh, it's not something that uh, is something that I would say we would want to do if it weren't for the fact that it's really what what the public wants uh, in terms of being able to make sure that the product isn't diverted. Uh, and it just kind of goes along with the, uh, all the rules that are around, uh, surround production of it generally. Uh, so, you know, if you're a commercial producer, you have to have the food to sale tracking. Uh, and so in this case, it's not even anywhere nearly as burdensome as that. It's just, hey, you know, uh, you have to register it with the state. You have to say, yes, I'm going to be doing this patient cultivation. Here's where it's going to be, and it's going to be in a secure locked facility. Uh, and that, that's pretty much all you got to do. Uh, but it's, uh, it, you know, they, they just have to make sure that it's not going to get diverted uh, to the black market because, I mean, that is, uh, that, that is a crime, and, you know, it's a lot better for uh, them to be able to say, all right, we know that this person is a patient cultivator, uh, and we're, I mean, imagine if you didn't have some sort of way to register that. Then the police are uh, in the, the community say, all right, well, we don't know if this person has a card or not. The only way for us to find out is to uh, bust down the door. Uh, and yes. that's, that's not good. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, this is a way that at least, you know, you can provide some level of saying, all right, we know this person is, if the police have probable cause or something uh, to think that that's, there's cultivation happening in there, they can call up the department. And the department's not just supposed to give out that information, you know, to anybody, but if there's probable cause or a search warrant applied for, then they could say, yes, that person is a patient cultivator, you know, let us handle that. Uh, we can go knock on the door and ask to, to see it as opposed to you, you know, sending in the SWAT team. Uh, and so, you know, again, in, in a perfect world, maybe that wouldn't be necessary, even even that level of uh, over-inspection, but uh, it's, it's a hell of a lot better than, uh, you know, what, what the alternative is in, uh, uh, before. Awesome. Um, so, um, so another question I had sort of about like, um, like veterans. Um, so, um, in, so I, I, I'm a medical marijuana patient in Massachusetts and, um, most of the dispensaries I go to, a lot of them will have like sort of set asides and discounts for veterans. Like they'll get like, like depending on their level of disability, they'll get a certain percentage off. Um, is there a push in like the language that new approach pushed on the initiative for those sort of set asides for vets? So uh, yes, uh, at least 
explicitly in the uh, in the language about dispensaries, uh, particularly on vets, but you know we have something that talks about uh, providing uh, benefits to the community and providing benefits to low-income patients. Uh, so, yeah, I was going to uh, ask I about that, that too. But perfect. Yeah, I, and, and so you know, I, I think that there's uh, the, the, you're going to see a lot of dispensaries come up with plans that uh, you know help out veterans, help out uh, low-income patients, help out seniors uh, as you know part of the part of the way that they show to the department that they're going to uh, you know they're not just profiteers here; they're really trying to help help their communities. Nice. And then, um, and then my last question. Um, so, from what I read of like the initiative, there's, there's so there's like, so th- it specifies that there's like a minimum f- per hundred thousand patients of dispensaries, but but there's also there's also control of of the I think the health department to or the government to limit the number of dispensaries. So, is there like a reason why? They'd be like a, a a set limit on on how many dispensaries there are. Um, wouldn't a lot of wouldn't having as much dispensaries as the department can approve sort of lower the prices for patients across the board and get them the best outcome? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, again, it's kind of something where we took we kind of took a kind of a middle position here, uh, and uh, you know, in a lot of states, particularly ones that have passed this via the legislature. Uh, and even some of the ones that have passed up via the initiative more recently, you have a lot fewer uh, dispensaries than what even our minimum is. And, I, and I'll also tell you that the Department of Health, uh, the, the Dr. Williams, the head of the, the head of the Department of Health and Senior Services, has said publicly that they're likely to actually uh, have more dispensaries than the minimum required in the amendment, uh, particularly in rural areas. They said that they don't want to have any patient have to drive more than an hour uh, to get access. Uh, so you know they're they're taking their mission to uh, provide patient access as the you know, the most important thing uh, very seriously. Uh, so you know I, I think that they're uh, they're going to be uh, pretty good about making sure that everyone is able to to get access to it. But you know yeah again in a in a perfect world I would say uh, let the market sort it out and have as many dispensaries as the market will bear. Uh, but that's uh, the the general public is a little bit they. They want to make sure that there's good patient access, but they also don't want to see, uh, you know, a dispensary on every third block. Uh, it's, uh, you know, there's uh, it's kind of live in a world of contradictions when it comes to the things that people want in politics, and so you often have to to make uh, uh, compromises between these uh, these different desires that are in tension with each other, uh, and that's that's essentially the line we tried to walk. Awesome. Um, so I, I really appreciate you taking the, um, the, the time to, 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 to talk about this. Um, I'll, I'll give you the last word. Um, is there anything you want to sort of plug before we go? Uh, no, I just, uh, I mean, uh, sure. I guess I will say that I will plug that. Uh, I hope people will continue to follow the implementation of Amendment 2, and I think it's uh, going very smoothly so far. You know, a lot of departments uh, in other states have been uh, just outright hostile to uh, the uh, the implementation process and have said that, you know, they don't want to see it happen. It can take years. Arkansas. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, I mean, Arkansas, uh, there's uh, Arizona for a long time. But, uh, you know, here in Missouri, it's been, the, the department has been very uh, supportive and has said this is the will of the people, this is what we're going to do. Uh, and so we've been very, very happy to see that. I'm sure there's going to be some curveballs that come at us, but, uh, you know, I, I think that we're going to have a, a very good program and it's going to be implemented relatively smoothly. Awesome. Um, again, thank, thanks, thanks so much, John, for, for taking the time to do this, and I hope you have a great day. Yep, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.